Welcome back to Meet Me in the Middle. This is your host, Neely. Thank you for being here. As always, I really appreciate you continuing with me. I want to remind you that my website is findunityinthemiddle.com. It has many links organized by episode to help you all dig deeper. The more we know, the more we grow. I know that it's cheesy, but it really stuck. It's really true. So I do want to touch on some of the questions that I got after the electoral college elections episode to ensure we all have an understanding of where we are today. As we covered in the last episode, the history, it's important to understand how it works today. And it's in complete, direct conflict to what the founders and framers expected. To be clear, their intentions were for the state legislators to choose their electors And the states were to decide the rules, oaths that these electors were to follow. Alexander Hamilton wanted a constitutional amendment to ensure that the electors in each state are to be tied to each district. This never made it to the floor, as I explained in the previous episode. And Benjamin Franklin believed that it was too late. Is it too late? I don't think so. I don't think it's ever too late to change a system that's designed for the people by the people. Over time, state by state adopted the process of each state's parties to put forward a slate of electors, except Nebraska and Maine. So let's compare Nebraska and Nevada as they're closer in number of electoral votes in the 2020 election. So Nebraska has five electoral votes. Nevada has six electoral votes. Nebraska gives two votes to the winner of the popular vote in the state. Then three votes are split by district. So two went to the Republicans and one went to the Democrats. And the state legislator puts forward the five names that are then uh, certified. Nevada gave all the votes, the six votes to Democrats as they won the popular vote. So all six went to the Democrats. This is the reason some can win the presidential election, but not win the popular vote. So the founders expected it to run more closely like Nebraska and Maine. So Maine had four electoral votes. Two went to the Democrats as they won the popular vote, but one the two the the two districts one went to the democrats and one to the republicans the parties drive the process now 
And uh, we vote in November in the elections. And then the electoral are certified prior to their vote in December. And January, the votes are counted in Congress. And in 2020, it was January 6th. We all need to understand that if we united on this one issue, that the presidential elections would be more closely aligned to the popular vote, but keeping the electoral system in place, there has been many proposals to either scrap it or have it, um, and it's reached high. It's never just never reached high enough or supported by the parties, both parties. So, for example, in Texas in 2020, if the electoral system was set up the way the founders designed it or intended for it to be actually designed in every state, then 23 votes would have gone to Biden and 15 to Trump in Texas. And that's by looking at it at the congressional district level if electoral vote, one electoral vote was for each district. If we, and in California, 22 electoral votes would have gone to Trump and 32 to Biden. This is how it would look like and the map would change completely because in each state, especially large states, there's a lot of Republicans in California, but because of the winner-take-all system on the electoral votes, it turns blue. And then the opposite in Texas. There's a lot of Democrats in Texas, but because it's a winner-take-all, it turns red. So as you can see, the votes would be closely aligned in the electoral votes versus the popular vote. It'd be more representative of the popular vote if we conducted our electoral voting process like it was originally intended to be designed. The congressional districts drive the electoral voting systems and by district you choose who represents you in the House in D.C. And in your state there are districts for your legislator in your state and your governor and so on. So let's get into this episode about the census and congressional districts. If you do follow along on the website, you can click on the leaks. Each state map is there. So you can click on your state, it'll show you your maps, it'll show you your district, and then each district, if you pull it from the drop down, it will show you the demographics of every single district in your state. 
And you can look at other states, of course. You can change the state. Once you're on the site, I made it easy. So each state's link takes you right to that map. But it takes you to the census website where all the maps are stored. And you can choose a different state if you want to look at that. So if you, if you look at all of these districts, just ask yourself in your own state and district, does this map represent your community? What if a park in the middle of this district was divided? Who then makes the decisions about the park that affects your life? Is it in a different district? Are both districts working together? These kinds of questions are important to your daily life. The Constitution laid out that every 10 years, a census is done. And in the Constitution, the representation showed one representative in the House for every 30,000 people. Over time, that number of representatives to population size has changed. And there are amendments and statues uh, that lay out these changes. So just to give you kind of an overview of different areas, and there's a map on the site that you can click, but for every 10 years, but it's from 70. So when the Constitution was drafted and drawn up, and finalized and signed and ratified. It was stated 30,000 per representative. But in 1790, it really the average was 34,000 to one. In 1860, it was 122,000 to one. In 1910, it's 211,000 to one. In 1970, it was 470,000 to one. And then in 2020, and now it's about 762,000 people to one representative. And there has been many proposals that have been uh, discussed over the years and that have been drafted to amend and change and expand the representation. So, really, it just hasn't moved further than when it was set to 435 representatives in the House and 100 senators, two per state. So, once the Census Bureau completes the counts, they allocate the total number of districts and electoral votes, they're equal in measure to the state. And then they take away the two senators from those totals. And then the rest are district, are districts. So to explain that, if you have 54 votes, electoral votes in your state, you take away the two senators and 
then you have 52 districts. So for instance, in California, we have 52 districts. So once the house was capped to 435, as discussed in a previous episode, then the states have to draw the maps before the next election. So they really have two years, by law is three years, to finalize the maps. The states that only have one district do not have to do any maps because it's one district. So they always get automatically two senators and one representative. So it's three. There are six states that do not have to draw district maps. Alaska, Delaware, North Dakota, South Dakota, Vermont, and Wyoming all have three electoral votes. One, two senators, one House member. Because that's, and there's never a chance where it would be less than three for a state. The District of Columbia is not a state, but they do get to vote. They do not have congressional representation as they're not a state, but they still get three electoral votes as there are U.S. citizens living in Washington, D.C., or the District of Columbia. So after you remove this, there's 44 states that are sent off to draw their maps. So the total number of electoral votes minus two senators are the number of districts that they need to draw. So for instance, Tennessee gets 11 electoral votes, but has nine districts because the two senators are statewide. The way that these maps are drawn (laughs) is what we're going to go into now in detail. The states have established several bodies that are responsible for drawing these maps. Redistricting commissions, independent commissions, politician commissions, advisory commissions, and backup commissions. It's important to note that the state also sells voter polls to the political parties. And the commissions that are drawing the maps have this data available. This lets them know how many people are registered to each party by district across the state, except 18 states that do not require party affiliation questions at the voter registration time. This kind of protects those states from being able to be influenced by party information at the map driving uh, map drawing process or does it as there's many companies out there that are constantly creating polls of how many voters 
are Democrat, how many people are happy with the current administration that are unhappy, how many people that would right now vote for who is running and so on and so forth. Now, polls, when you're looking at polls, please make sure to look for the detail of the poll because a lot of these polls, they say this is the American view as of right now. And then you look at the fine print and it's like 98,000 people. There's 360 million people. There's about 150 something thousand voters. And this changes every year. So, or the 150,000 voters that voted in 2020. So 98,000 people is hardly a representation of America. So be careful when you're looking at polls. And we'll talk about a little bit about the polls and election night in the voting uh, episode of this series. So 32 states ask party affiliation questions at the time of voter registration. So at 18, I get my right to vote. I'm super excited. I go down and I'm registered I register to vote, and in 32 states, I'm faced with what party do you want to affiliate with? Is that right? Or dividing? That's a dividing question for an 18-year-old when they're just trying to participate their constitutional right to vote, and the Constitution doesn't protect anything about parties. So to be asked what party you are, can you not just be a voter? And we're going to talk about that, too, at voter registration and the voting series. So what the 19 states, 18, 19, uh, sorry, 18 states um, that do not require the data are as follows. Alabama, Georgia, Hawaii, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Montana, North Dakota, Ohio, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin. Those 18 states Do not ask you what your party preference is at time of registration. It's kind of surprising, right? This list. You would expect California maybe to be on there, but it's not. So most of these states also have something that's called open or partially open or top two primary types. We're going to talk about that in the voting series, so I'm not going to go into that. But it means that they allow people that without party affiliation to be able to vote in the primaries. And how that works and how that's going, how that's practiced in each state, we're going to go into in the voting series. So I want to stick with the maps right now. So the map drawing 
can absolutely be influenced by voter registration data, as well as demographics data. This is why I mention it. Having politics involved in the fundamental tasks, like congressional maps, is a point that causes much debate. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's right? I don't know. When parties influence the congressional maps, this is what is called gerrymandering. However, maps can also be gerrymandered by using race data from the census. How did this name come to be used as a label for political or racial corruption in the process of representation? It's kind of a fun fact. Elbridge Jerry, who was a framer, founder, and a signer of the Declaration of Independence, was an anti-federalist who refused to sign the Constitution without a Bill of Rights to ensure individual liberties. And the Bill of Rights is the first 10 amendments to our Constitution. He spoke over 153 times at the Constitutional Convention. And his refusal to sign the Constitution hurt him politically. Even though he was elected to Congress as one of the first Congress. Without the voices of people like Elbridge, we wouldn't have the Bill of Rights. So, El Elbridge Jerry, he had a political comeback and was elected to governor in Massachusetts in 1810. Jerry fought about elections and with the Federalist and approved a very controversial map as governor to favor his party, the Anti-Federalists. The Federalists responded with jokes in the newspaper that it looked like a, the shape of a salamander, a district. Hence the name, Jerry Mander. It was Elbridge Jerry, a founder, who drew a controversial map, approved it. It looked like a salamander, so hence the name Jerry Mander. Pretty fun fact. He lost the re-election uh, when he was trying to run for governor, and but he ran with James Madison as VP in 1812 and died in office in 1814. He truly would be horrified at this label as no one knows what he did outside his salamander-shaped map. That's how it goes with history. So, to really raise him up as a founder who fought for the Bill of Rights, which we all appreciate. 
it's just sad, I guess, when you think about it. But that is history. So gerrymandering is a way basically to disenfranchise voters based on race and political party by drawing maps that disenfranchise people by splitting districts and neighborhoods to dilute the votes and increase the votes. The amount of court cases that fight gerrymandering are so many. The racial data comes with the census and the political party affiliation comes from voter polls that are sold by the states. The Voting Right Act of 1965 stated that no citizen could be disenfranchised based on race or religion, sex, all of it. In Alabama, in 2022, three judge, a three-judge panel blocked Alabama's congressional maps because they noted that it most likely violates the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And then later in 2022, the Supreme Court reinstated the map temporarily and listed the case on their, on their case list. Still no date has been set. This is still unresolved. In Arkansas in 2022, the NAACP sued multiple state officials over the new House District's map, stating they were unconstitutionally underrepresenting black voters. A district judge ruled the groups did not have any standing. The ACLU appealed following the DOJ's announcement that they were not going to intervene. Two more lawsuits arguing that the map disenfranchised voters by splitting Pulaski County between three districts, moving 23,000 black voters out of District 2. This case is still unresolved. In Georgia in 2021, the Southern Poverty Law Center claimed the maps block communities of color from obtaining political representation that reflects their population's growth. And the ACLU filed a lawsuit alleging that the state's legislative and congressional maps violated the Voting Rights Act specifically in the 6th, 13th, and 14th districts. March 2022, a court ruled to allow the maps, stating it would be disruptive to the May vote. This case is still unresolved. In Michigan, in 2022, maps were challenged on the grounds of violating the Voting Rights Act, by reducing the number of black majority districts in Detroit, it was dismissed. In Texas in 2021, the League of United Latin American Citizens filed a lawsuit that the maps failed to reflect the fact that over 50% growth in Texas population 
over the last 10 years was due to the Hispanic citizens and say that they failed to add new Hispanic majority districts, but also eliminated several existing districts, but claiming to be violating the Voting Rights Act of 1965. In December 2021, the DOJ filed a lawsuit against the maps stating that they were drawn with discriminatory intent. This is also unresolved. In Maryland in 2021, uh, where uh, vetoed by the governor, the maps were vetoed by the governor, stating that they were disgracefully gerrymandered, the legislated the legislators overturned the governor's veto and then the Republican groups stating this cracked Republican voters across several districts. In March, a current court judge threw out the maps calling them extremely gerrymandered. In New York in 2022, the maps were thrown out by a New York judge for violating a state constitutional provision banning partisan gerrymandering. In 2022, the appeals court upheld the decision to throw them out, stating they were drawn with political intent. However, they reinstated the state state assembly and state senate maps And upon a second appeal by the state Democratic Party, the New York Appeals Court found that the congressional and state Senate maps were drawn with unpermissible partisan purpose. Both were found unconstitutional. The uh, The court appointed then an independent counsel to draw new maps. The federal judge rejected the argument from state Democrats after this map was drawn by the special counsel that it was too late to redraw the maps past the maps that were proposed as it was long shot to hold the primaries on district lines even though the state says that the maps were unconstitutional. It's still unresolved. In Ohio, the Supreme Court of Ohio overturned past legislative maps, arguing that they unfairly favored Republicans against Ohio's 2015 redistricting amendment that seeks to limit partisan gerrymandering. These are just a taste of the lawsuits claiming racial and political gerrymandering that exists today. What I did notice, however, when I was going through all these court cases, and I read a lot more of these, but these I felt that, you know, were important and strategic for different states. But what I did notice, and it showed, I mean, the examples I gave was really showing that Republicans do it, Democrats do it, they all do it. All of them do it. There's not one party that does it. Um, They both do it in equal measure, I would say, looking at all the court cases. But what I did notice is the political gerrymandering arguments seem to really get pushed right up through the courts and Supreme Courts and things like that. But when it comes to racial gerrymandering 
cases, those seem to end in the lower courts or stall. That is completely inappropriate, in my opinion. And I don't voice my opinion too much. But if you really think about it, racial gerrymandering or political gerrymandering, these cases are, this is wrong. This is the wrong way. They should never be drawn like this. And there needs to be something done about that federally, I think. Because the states have the ability to understand their districts and they can propose the maps and have their commissions. But really, there needs to be some very clear rules on... I mean, this needs to be no, not a small majority to pass the maps. It needs to be... I don't know. I'm not saying federal control, but I'm saying that it needs to be managed in a better way. As a lot of these cases just die in the courts. Because a lot of the cases are brought to the states and the courts and the district courts and the Supreme Court and appeals courts by nonprofit organizations that are fighting for the people. And they don't have the same kind of money that the political parties have to fight these cases. Unfortunately, that's just the facts. So gerrymandering is, is criminal in any instance. And as long as we allow political parties to drive the elections interworkings in the states, we'll never see an end to misrepresentation and missteps and disenfranchisement of parties, of, of, of a party, a small party, a third party, any of those things, as well as racially. And then you've got the gerrymandering of the rich and the poor as well. Although there's not so many cases that are brought up on that. It's important to know your state, your district, pay attention and get involved. When you see court cases in your state, I mean, I think there's a current court case right now that is with the Supreme Court in North Carolina. I mean, check it out. Follow it. It's fascinating to understand who's fighting it and who drew it. And you can find all that information. Uh, you can either look at my website or look at the state sites and you can find it. And it's interesting to follow and it's important to understand it. As these districts are how our voices are heard. Now, we've already talked about the fact that 30,000 voices to one voice, okay, that seems much more representative to, you know, a growing nation. But now it's one representative for 762,000. Can you imagine if 762,000 constituents wrote an email to their representative <laughs> in one day? Right? This is our representative. We, we should have access to that person for sure. What about the two senators that where they have a whole state? So like a state like with 40 million people, then you're basically talking about, what, 20 million people each talking to a senator? I mean, that seems 
lot of people and the misrep not misrepresentation but the representation population the ratio uh, has changed so dramatically that there's so many debates about expanding the number of members in the house so if if we were to go back to the 30,000 model or even 75,000 i mean you'd actually have to add like 1500 seats to the house so there's some very interesting arguments and that's also on my website and again they're just arguments of expanding and there's lots of different ideas it's very interesting if if you so want if you want to look at it deeper it's on the website so the voter registration lists are available for sale to political parties this visibly drives the political gerrymandering if we stop the question of party affiliation would it change anything i have no idea maybe we are going to be looking at this along with the voter laws also further in the series in the voting episode so i kind of want to go through the types of bodies in the various states that draw the maps this is set at the state level like all elections and voter laws the Voting Rights Act is clear that no one shall be disenfranchised based on race, sex, age, and religion. But what about being disenfranchised by political parties? Hmm. So, something to think about. So, six states, no maps are drawn as their one large district. Five states are passed by the legislative body's simple majority and has veto power by the governor to override. Three states have political commissions. Two states pass by legislative, the legislative body, but the governor plays no role. Seven states are an independent commission and 27 states are passed by the legislator with governor approval. Now, passed by the legislator doesn't mean that the legislator are drawing the maps. They also have independent commissions, backup commissions, things like that. If, if the court doesn't like the, how they're doing it, they'll appoint someone to do it and so on. This changes over time as well like you know the states will change the way that they do them or what commission does it or what so on so it's important to understand how your state draws the maps and approves the maps there's a lot more details underneath how these are approved and drawn not just at the level of well this is how this works overarching some do it slightly different there's tweaks to it so it's really important if, you know, you want to get involved and understand that. This is the most important beginning of your representation is what district that you sit in and what district you're drawn in and how your state actually manages their districts. The idea was it was blocks and neighborhoods. And of course, when you have rural, rural communities, there's then huge you know, amounts of land 
but the population is still roughly around the same. So they have to split their state into equal, as equal as possible population to representative ratios. So please get to know it. It's really important how you vote for your represent, representative in a representative democracy, constitutional republic, which is what we are. So please look at all the links. There's a lot of information there. Um, your congressional maps are there. And don't forget, at the state level, they have all your laws on elections as well. And your state constitution, the rules and statutes regarding congressional maps. So I do encourage you to know your state. I want to point out a recent event that happened in Tennessee. This will show you the power of your vote. So there were three lawmakers that were standing up against gun violence due to a recent shooting. And their voices were silenced, so they took an extreme measure, brought bullhorns into the chamber, which of course is, wow, uh, that, the fact that, that <laughs> these are our representatives. This is just a crazy situation. Two lawmakers that were black were removed from their elected position and one white woman remained. And all three of them were doing it. When they went back to their districts from where they were elected from, those districts got their government bodies together and voted unanimously in both cases and sent them back to the legislative body. And they were reinstated. Of course, no elected member can be unseated for raising the concern, concerns of their constituents. Because in these two districts, their constituents were protesting and demanding change. So they are the representative of their community. So they went in to demand change, regardless of how, what side you are of the issue. It's just the fact of it, because this could happen in either way, in red or blue. So it's very interesting, though, because that's how powerful we are. If we get involved and inform ourselves, we the people for the people, it was designed that way. We have allowed the parties to take and the elites to take control of every part of the way that we are governed. And the interesting thing about that is the laws protect us from such a thing, but it's the processes that were left open for interpretation as they didn't write an, a point-by-point -point guide for exactly how every single instance could possibly come up later in time. So it, it's around the framework of the law that's being corrupted and on many levels, racially, financially, politically. And I think that's, that's what I'm trying to highlight. So 
we let the parties take control. We the people, we did that. And our founders and framers warned us against it. We do have the power to change it. All we have to do is make it known and make it matter. The key reason for doing this podcast is to help us all navigate the complex systems designed to govern a diverse nation with that was a new idea with a balance of power and demand for the representation that is afforded us under the United States Constitution and its amendments. All we have to do is demand the power that we already have and push away those who would like you to believe that they're the voices that you need because they're not. Neither of them are. We have our own voices. We are and have the ability to have to get the information more readily now, more than ever. And I think that like using technology for good, meaning spreading really the truth about what kind of power we have and what this country was based on and the foundations of it and how it includes us all now, it, it's a powerful thing to understand and it's, it's in, invigorating and it's positive. So we just need to keep on talking about it, discussing the electoral college and the congressional districts. We really need people to understand it and we're going to keep talking about it in this series so we're, we are going to have two more episodes in this series. In the next episode, we were gonna di- we're going to discuss the conferences and campaigns. And we'll also discuss campaign finance rules and laws and lobbying. So thank you for listening. And please make sure to visit my website for all the links. And you can purchase books and the American flag. We must all claim our place in this country. We must all claim our flag as we fight for a more perfect union. There's no shame in moving forward. There's no shame in coming together. As long as we understand where we came from in the truth. We must silence the noise of those who would divide us and unite to remove the barriers to equity for all people and citizens. Take two steps and meet me in the middle. Unity is the only way forward. Knowledge is power, and the power given to the people ensures we will win this fight against all dividing forces and strive to be free equally. We have some work to do together, but thank you for listening, and until next time, the more we know, the more we grow.